Welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Uh, JJ here, as always, with Dan and Bill's Mafia. I have to say one thing and one thing only. Y'all are losing your collective goddamn minds out there. I have been battling... I've been battling both sides of arguments for or against Ken Dorsey on this team um, online with, with people out there. And, and we're, we're staying somewhat respectful. I mean, most posts end in go bills, but it's getting kind of dicey. I think everyone's really upset. The Buffalo bills dropped another game uh, to fall to five and four. And uh, it's the worst start that the Buffalo bills have had under Sean McDermott since Josh Allen's rookie season. Uh, and that's where we are in week 10. This is the Thursday before a Monday night showdown with the Denver Broncos, the ascending Denver Broncos. Dan, where are you in this in this situation today? I feel like I'm I'm stuck in a hamster wheel and I'm not going anywhere. I I, I told you before we started the pod, I don't know that I want to talk numbers when it comes to the the Bengals, the Bengals recap. The reason being is because this was a loss that went beyond numbers. The Bills had so much invested in this game, whether they want to admit it or not. They literally geared their entire offseason to correcting the wrong that was done to them in Highmark Stadium by these Bengals. And it looked like they were just as far apart after last week's game and defeat as they were after the playoff defeat. After all of the signings, after all of the commitment in the offseason to trying to keep things simple and being more committed than ever than football, after all of that stuff, this team was exactly as bad as they were in that playoff loss last year. Now, I, I said something that I know um, I know you disagree with, and, and I want to walk it back a little bit because I put it in the text chain, which, God, if anyone ever saw our text chain, and then what we put out on the pod... You folks at home, you're getting the calm version of me and JJ. This, this is like the, the filtered. It, right. This is, this is the, this yeah, is, yeah this, this is the sanitized, like I've had a few days to process. The text chain is like raw emotion. It's, and it's rough like, mash it, vodka. First it, stage, it, not distilled. It really is. So I'll throw something in the chain and you'll be like, I disagree with that. That sucks. Yeah. Right. And then we get, and then we get back on the pot. It's like, yeah, man, listen, you bring up good points. Like it's all, it's all <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, I'd be like, so, frankly, sir, you are an idiot and a moron. <laughs> that's How right. Dare you? That's right. And then the mics come on and, and, and yep. we're in, we're into the recording mode and we're like, Hey man, listen, I, I feel where you're at. I, I depart. I depart. <laughs> so what I put to you in the text was this, you could make an argument that this loss was as embarrassing to some extent as the playoff loss. And you disagreed and, and, and we can dig into that. But here is my case overall for why this loss was more than just a, a week nine midseason typical Buffalo Bills swoon as they find themselves as they seem to do every year at this time. They win a big game a few weeks in, be it the Chiefs or the Dolphins, and then it's like they have their own personal regular season Super Bowl hangover for the next five weeks. I get it. That This is the cadence that we're used to with the Buffalo Bills. And what do they ultimately do? They ultimately figure it out. It doesn't always look pretty, but this is a team that always goes on a run. And I am telling you, the reason why this particular game was, you could argue, as embarrassing or at least as devastating as the playoff loss was is because of two things. One, 
it to me represents a failure of what the Buffalo Bills have been building, trying to build up all offseason. Two, when you look at where the Bills are in the conference, and they are currently out of the playoff picture completely, and when you look at what this win does by way of tiebreakers and point differentials in an AFC, not just the AFC East, I don't think the division right now is in reach, but in the AFC fighting for a wild card spot, what this loss does in tiebreaker scenarios when you're carrying losses against Cincinnati and Jacksonville, not to mention the Jets who are still lingering around for a wild card spot, also currently hold a tiebreaker over you as well in the division and in the conference. This loss is going to make it even harder for the Buffalo Bills to get to where they want to get. You can make an argument that 10 wins after this loss because of tiebreaker scenarios and point differentials and, and records in conference might not even get them the seven seed. That's why, to me, this loss is devastating because it could ultimately factor into the math that ends the run that the Buffalo Bills have been so fortunate to be on since McDermott and Bean came on board and since we drafted Josh Allen. It, it represents, I think for the first time, a true lack of progress because J.J., after the Bill, after 13 seconds, after the AFC Championship game, the Bills have always come back with some sort of counterpunch. They've always come back in the pre next season better at thing that they couldn't do the year before. This Cincinnati game was supposed to be that crowning moment where all the stuff that lost them that game last season against Cincinnati was corrected, and it wasn't. And what's worse is that that might be the thing mathematically that keeps the Bills, even with 10 wins in a competitive AFC, out of the playoff picture. That's my argument. We're going to get into Dorsey and we're going to get into all that. But that is how I feel about this loss. This loss feels in a lot of ways like the first time this team does not have a recipe for progress. You know, you know, and I think, I think that's fair. And I think that, um, yeah. And I believe too, there's a lot that goes into this, right? Like, and that's the thing that I've been really spinning out on from the time that that game ended on Sunday night to today is that it's it's almost impossible for me to settle on who I think or what I think is the biggest problem with this team right like I I have you know I was texting you in the text chain like okay I, I think I'm in fire Dorsey camp right like I think I've found my way there because it just seemed like such a slog for them to get anything done and then I like go to sleep and I wake up and I'm like Josh Allen though he's got a better completion percentage and a better QB, QBR at this point in this season than he's ever had in his career at this point in this season is not doing it. He's just not doing it. He's not playing within the scope of the offense. And, and there are times where I'm like putting the blame solely on Josh Allen because you could say, well, Dorsey's not scheming the right plays for him. But you could also say, no, Dorsey has a good plan because if you watch all 22, you can see all of the easy button check down throws that are meant to beat cover two shell. The ones that Patrick Mahomes had to learn how to take and effectively took to the point of two Super Bowls in the last four years, right? Like there are solutions and Josh Allen is either stubbornly not choosing to take those those options or um, the offensive line is failing. There's there's other things there that it's just like, OK, and you just I can just spin and spin all day because I'm like, well, the players aren't getting it done in the scheme, change the scheme. Then then one second later, I'm like, the scheme looks good. The players aren't getting it done. The players need to play better, right? Like, and then ultimately I'm coming back and I'm like, I'm not in the, the Bills Mafia group that's like McDermott has hit his ceiling and he cannot coach a winner of a Super Bowl 
it's time for him to go. I'm not there. I don't think that it's a good idea to get rid of winning coaches who tend to get their players up to perform at an elite level year over year. Um, I don't think that McDermott's a Marvin Lewis, right? Like a first first round of the playoffs exit every year. Or a um, Marty shot Marty Or a Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, there's a lot of Schottenheimer comparisons. I don't think he is that because he has been part of a culture, part of a team that made it all the way to the Super Bowl and absolutely got stomped, right? <laughs> so it's it's a it's the kind of thing where it's like I wouldn't want to say that just because he's been there and got destroyed um that it's all on him you know i'd like i think that he has what it takes to get the bills back there but so much of it is like in the moment they have to play their best on that day and that that i mean again i'm spinning because i'm like okay the coach it's the coach's job to motivate his players to bring it day after day but then on the other hand i'm like well he's not on the field they need to actually be professionals and do their job and i think that it's just oh my god I'm a mess. I'm a mess, Bill's Mafia. No, I hear you. It, it, it's like a chicken or the egg conversation, mm-hmm. right? And listen, Josh has always been a volatile product at QB. Even in his best seasons, he would make throws. He would put together play sequences that you're like, what is this dude doing? Even when everyone finally during that COVID season came on board with, holy crap, like we have we have our franchise QB. There was still these head scratching moments where you're like, he needs to mature more. I, I, we obviously should not get rid of Josh Allen because he may be the reason why it, it is so frustrating to watch the Bills at points, but he's also a big reason why they win. I am also not re- like you, not ready to get rid of McDermott because I think that's a, I, I just think that's a, that's a rash move at this point. I am also. Not necessarily ready to get get rid of Dorsey, and I think you and I will also depart respectfully on this as well. And it's for the reason that you said there are guys open that Josh could be checking to, and it's not like it's a, it's not like it's always a dink and dunk. Um, I, I mean, there was a there was a when you look at the it was a Alana Alana Getzenberg from ESPN mm-hmm. put up the the motion dots. Yes. On that play. The NFL next gen. The like, NFL yeah. next gen, right? Like, so Gabe Davis's route where Cam Taylor Britt um, picked off Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. You had James Cook wide open with lot tons of yardage in front of him at the check down. But you also had Kincaid hitting a perfectly timed release at the second level of Intermediate the field. Intermediate levels. Yep. 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 Josh is not checking his levels when he should be. And th- this is a thing that I think does represent this this accountability piece on the coaching staff that they need to somehow impart on Josh. And, and I'm gonna and this cuts two ways because there's something I think the coaching staff is not ju- doing for Josh that I think also feeds into a lot of anger here. Josh needs to be led to that point of maturation where he is taking the free yards, like Tom Brady said. Tom Brady absolutely berated Josh on his yes. podcast for not taking free yards because here's what free yards early in the game get you it gets you stefan diggs in single coverage it gets you outside on the outside exactly it gets you single high safety coverage because there's not a linebacker in the league that's going to keep up with dalton kincaid Mm -hmm. and if you feed him enough and he does pain to the opposing team you're going to get a safety to drop down and cover him which is going to put you in single high you're going to get the bracketed coverage off these clear out routes for Gabe Davis off, but you've 
got to be patient at the beginning of the game to get yes. what you want, right? That's the accountability piece on the coaching side that needs to improve. And that's the maturation of Josh that needs to improve. That's part one of this. But part two, and this is on the coaching staff, is they can't just build it to be uh, take the free yards all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is my frustration with Dorsey. We've said it before. No, no one can explain Dorsey's scheme, who is in like a regular NFL co coach couch. You're, you're probably the closest thing because of your understanding of film and study of the game. The frustration with Dorsey, as we have said before, is play sequencing because it is always, always taking the most efficient route without ever building to the explosiveness that this team can reach. He he basically keeps the car in third gear, never wanting mm -hmm. to get to fourth gear. This is an exceptionally efficient offense by every advanced metric. And this is probably why a lot of Bills Mafia are like, all these numbers are for nerds because the eye test tells me. And you know what? The eye test is right about this too. JJ, this offense reminds me a lot of the first iteration of Kevin Stefanski's offense with the Cleveland Browns, the Baker Mayfield led Cleveland Browns. His first season in Cleveland after the debacle that was Freddie Kitchens comes in, installs this new offense, and it's a plotting offense. It's efficient, it's high in a lot of efficiency metrics, but it's not explosive. And as a result of that, the Cleveland Browns led a lot of drives that were 13 or 14 plays, took eight minutes to chunk off the clock, but would ultimately end in a field goal because they didn't have the ability to leverage all of that efficiency for explosiveness. And this is where the Bills are at. They are fine at running an efficient offense. But if you're going to be playing behind, which you are more often than not, with this beat up as this defense is moving forward, you also have to be explosive because you cannot come from behind two scores down when you're running 13 play drives for nine minutes at a time, dinking and dunking down the field and then ending up with a punt or a turnover or a field goal. And this is where I think there is blame to lay at, Dors at Ken Dorsey's doorstep because he has built a very efficient offense where guys are open but he is not leveraging that efficiency when Josh does choose to engage with it. When he does engage with feeding Kincaid the ball, or he does get it to Shakir and he ends the target funnel to Diggs. When Josh chooses to do those things, there is no reward for Josh. There is no carrot at the end of that stick. It's just more, here's another four yard out to James Cook. And that is where Dorsey does deserve some blame. This offense needs to build to something other than a really efficient, non-explosive unit, if it's going to be competitive and win. That's the piece that I think Dorsey continues to miss as a play caller. And that's where I think Josh should be rightfully frustrated. Because when he plays by the rules and plays within the scheme, there is no reward. The closest thing we saw was that touchdown pass to Diggs. Because finally, at the end of the game, we had gotten it to Kincaid enough. We had gotten it to Shakir enough. And finally, the Bengals were like, you know what? They're killing us in the middle of the field. They brought down extra help. Yep. We get digs on the outside and we get a touchdown. But there is not enough of that happening in this offense. Well, there's also the also the other problem that I have is with the creativity. I think that it's the kind of thing where the scheme is appropriate. The, the actual route combinations are very good. Dorsey clearly understands what Josh likes and is planning the two by two that they set up in when they're in 11 personnel, you know, two receivers on either side, Dalton Kate and Kincaid is, is on one of the sides in the slot. Yep. That two by two set that they used 
endlessly against Cleveland, it has mirrored route concepts oftentimes, and then it has other route concepts and option routes that come off of those mirrors that it's that's smart play calling because it's basically it's saying my guys are better than your guys. One of these four people is going to get separation, and that's going to be the obvious answer, and it's going to be an answer in less than three seconds for Josh Allen. And that that those designs are good. He does a good job of those. The problem is he has no counterpunch to that being, you know, re- repeatedly shut down. And so when the very simplistic scheme that he rolls out there is effectively stopped by extraordinary coverage or scheming, I think that that's the thing that Lou Anarumo did is he said, okay, I understand that when we get a two by two set, you know, four wide, what we're going to see is probably these six different combinations of routes. We're going to just gamble and put our guys into zones that cover the that make those those gaps very small for Josh Allen to fit the ball in and hope that we get lucky. And they did. They got lucky repeatedly that somebody was there for a pass breakup, that the ball was overthrown, underthrown. You know, there was an issue with making completions. And the problem was that once that happened, Dorsey for seven drives in the game didn't have a different way to go. He should be able to say, okay, you're going to do that. You're going to rush three. We're going to have a draw play to James Cook in which James Cook is moving to the mesh point and running past Josh Allen and past your three rushers for five or six yards because that's I I trust James Cook to get that. And they they abandoned the run too fast. I think there was like 75 percent pass plays against the Bengals. They abandoned the run because they were getting beat up a little bit in the middle. DJ Reader and BJ Hill were doing work um, and made them too gun shy to run the ball but i think run the ball was the answer because that was the that was the counter punch they just needed to establish a run um and yeah and there's nothing that builds on anything the the best analogy i can give is that when most of the better defensive coordinators in the league are playing chess ken dorsey is playing checkers but all of his all of his pieces on the board are kings and he never moves his back row right like he's king me everyone's double stacked checkers and that seems powerful, but it's not powerful when the other teams are beating you to the points and having pieces that can move ways you can't move. That was the most elaborate checkers analogy I think I've ever heard in my life. Okay. Um, They're all I, king pieces yes, and he never I moves mean, his back row. Yep. No, I follow you. I definitely follow you on that as, a, as an avid checkers player yes. myself, having chess being above my intelligence level. But, um, but it, dude, it, you bring up something so interesting with the run game. And this is where you, again, I'm not in the fire Dorsey. I'm not in the fire McDermott camp, but this is where, again, you can lay blame at the feet of now the head coach for how he is trying to influence the philosophy of the offensive coordinator. We saw this tension with McDermott and Dable where for years after a Bills loss, McDermott's standard line was, we need more balance. We need more balance. Complimentary need, football. Yes. Complimentary football, right? We, we, we need to be able to run the ball more. And the only time McDermott seems happy after a Bills win is when they run the ball with, 20 times with yep. James Cook. I will tell you, and I agree with you, running the ball is a good counter, especially in the, the schematic situation you're talking about with Cincinnati. But I think the piece that has gone underdeveloped in this offense more than maybe even Dalton Kincaid has been James Cook. And I think because Cook is caught uh, unintentionally in this philosophical battle between how Dorsey wants to use him 
and how McDermott wants to use him. And I actually think how, Mc, how Dorsey wants to use Cook is the way they should go. Cook want like McDermott wants Cook to be this traditional power running back. And you can see McDermott's fingerprints all over it when Cook is not in the starting personnel package in yeah. the game and Latavius Murray is. Yeah. That's McDermott being the tough, edge-jawed defensive coach who's saying, like, I'm three yards in a in a cloud of dust, it's, right? We're gonna out physical yeah. you. Except this offensive line has never been built. They are, to fin be they are physical. finesse pass blockers. They are finesse pass blockers right. top to bottom. It, yeah. it, all the way, right? All the way. The blueprint that we need to establish for James Cook is kind of like the blueprint that they've established for Travis Etienne in Jacksonville. Travis Etienne leads the league in running back touches. This is a speed back coming out of Clemson with an injury history, and they're using this dude as a workhorse. He is only averaging 3.9 yards per carry on his traditional rush attempts, over 151 rush attempts this season, which is also tops in the league. But they use him to keep that team on schedule in the passing game as well. First down, ETN gets you four yards. Second down, because they have a bad offensive line in Jacksonville and it's not enough time for Zay Jones and Kelvin Ridley to get open downfield, we're going to check it down five yards. All of a sudden, two ETN plays, we're third and one, and we're right on schedule. That has to be how you use James Cook as that offensive chess piece. And I do think McDermott deserves blame for his interference in developing the offensive philosophy because the offense, he wants the offensive line to do something they can't do. And he gets frustrated with James Cook because he's not the running back he wants him to be. But if you stop trying to pigeonhole these guys into the philosophical scheme you want and take them at their skill level, you'll look at the model that Jacksonville has built around its running back. You could replicate that with great success with James Cook. And he could be a piece that helps you stay on schedule and is this dynamic counterpunch to whatever these other teams want to roll out defensively. But he has been underdeveloped in his second year because he doesn't fit a traditional mold, right? That, JJ, that is the order of the blame pie of this game that I would put it in. I would put a lot of blame at the feet of Josh Allen for simply not maturing right um, at certain points in the game and still making great choices. I also put blame at the feet of Ken Dorsey because he is not incentivizing Josh with this scheme at all. It builds to nothing. And I put blame at the feet of McDermott because he is clearly interfering with the philosophy that his offensive coordinator wants to build. And he is somehow blind to the talent he has in front of him. If he were just to let it go and allow Dorsey to utilize the personnel in a way that he sees fit and let go of some of these traditional football tropes about out physical and 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 three yards in a cloud of dust like i said before he would let it go you would have this really dynamic piece in james cook you could you could open up which would then create openings for dorsey to build in and scaffold in more that would incentivize josh to play within the scheme until it was time to hit those explosive plays it is all a domino effect that goes from coaching to the players is it fireable no but it's got to be fixable mm -hmm. because right now you're out of the playoff picture and mathematically yeah, yeah. it's going to be very hard for you it's to get broken. Back. And it's, it's funny because like, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just massively, I'm, I'm an empath, right? I'm super empathetic. Just that's the way I roll. I love where your headspace is at. I can, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, it's great. But get this though. 
I can see if I am in Sean McDermott's McDermott's feet, if I'm in his shoes and I'm, you know, they like to say, you know, stand in this moment, like be present, right? If I'm present in Sean McDermott's shoes, what I, what I am feeling right now is that I am playing, my defense is playing with um, eight, no, seven of my 11 starters, preferred starters. I'm play, playing with seven of my 11 preferred starters and four of my players are playing with some kind of some kind of injury that's hampering them. Greg Rousseau's foot has been jacked up, probably a microfracture for four weeks. Yeah, he's um, just not himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ed Oliver has been playing through some injury. Um, both Poyer and Hyde, because they're old, have some things going on, but have been gutting it together to play. So there is like, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, I can see from his perspective, Ken, I need you to slow things down. I know that the fast pace offense is, is like really the only thing that's clicking for us right now, but my, my defense is gassed and this game is going to be 48 to nothing. If you just keep putting us back out there after four or five second drives, right? Like, and that's the, that's the problem we saw is like, there was a couple of drives where the bills ended up taking 16 seconds off the clock and only going negative five yards, right? Like that, that, that puts your defense in massive, massive problems and they're already understaffed. So I, I kind of get that. I kind of get where he's like, listen, we need to come up with something better. And I don't think it's unreasonable for him to ask that of his offensive coordinator. Every team should be able to play both tempo and pace. Like, and the fact that the bills can't, I think there's a lot of things there. One thing I think one of the reasons I don't think they've been able to establish the running game is yes, they're not a, a line full of maulers like the Cowboys or the Eagles, but a piece of that is the fact that they still have not committed to a style of running. They still try to be True. multiple like Dable. If they just went to power gap and if it's Latavius Murray, awesome. Or went to tosses with the great blocking that they get from Davis, Sherfield, and even um, at this point, uh, oh my God, who's our number 10? Sha- Shakir. Yeah. Shakir's yeah. come on as this awesome, like blocking wide receiver, even as, as a diminutive guy. You'll um, get no argument from yeah. me that we should be running the crack toss ad nauseum. Right. right. This is what I'm saying. So like, if you had, if you, if you changed up your running playbook, so it was more crack toss with, um, with, um, cook. And then, you know, even some inside gap power, Latavius Murray, maybe Leonard Fournette comes up and just do what you're really good at and do it better than anyone in the league. That's the way to go. Instead of trying to switch things up and have zone and sprint draw and all of these like different concepts, it's not a time to be cute. It's a time to like refine what you do. And that's what we saw in Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay game, the Bills were, you know, they probably should have put their foot on the gas a little bit in those drives that were ending at the 40 for Tampa Bay. They probably would have converted one or two of those fourth downs if they really wanted to. Um, And they were too conservative there. But, you know, what they did was they said, okay, this is the thing we do best. We're going to do the hell out of it. And that worked for most of that game. And so absolutely, I'm, I'm all for like, you know, I get it that you need to give your defensive a break and the defense is undermanned I, from, you know, the first four weeks of the season, the defense was fourth best in the league via, via DVOA since they're 30th. Like they are getting killed. And I, I believe it. Like, I know that that's the reason that Sean McDermott has more of an influence on this offense, but also I don't necessarily blame him that I think that he, he shouldn't get involved in the X's and O's of how they run the football. But I don't think it's unreasonable for him as head coach to say, hey, the defense need needs to get, get like they're gassed right now. They need a break. Get us some time. 
Yeah, I, I listen, I agree. And I think that's a great observation. I think it's fine to make the request. I think where it crosses the line is dictating how that request yes, should play out. I agree with that. I do. I do. And again, you are telegraphing a Sean McDermott what you want to do every time you start Latavius Murray over your dynamic second round talent and James Cook. You're sending an, a message, intentional or unintentional, to the rest of the guys on that squad and to your offensive coordinator that the identity that they're carrying with them as a team is not good enough. And at some point, that's going to wear guys down to constantly hear that the thing that we are good at is not the thing I want. And because you're not good in the way I want you to be good, I'm going to ask you to continually do it a different way. That's going to wear guys down, right? So like at, at some point, it is fair for McDermott to make the ask. Then he's got to delegate and trust that the players and the, and the, co and the offensive coaching staff are going to execute that. And I think, I think this is probably some of Dayball's frustration with McDermott and the way things ended there is that McDermott was not, not trusting enough to let them figure it out. And I think Dorsey is dealing with some of that right now too. Again, it is broken, but not fireable. It can be fixed, right? It can be fixed. And the path to fixing it is very clear, but it's about a real, it's about some really smart, important guys, a, a generational talent at QB. A, a smart and savvy offensive coordinator and a successful head coach with a great mind for the game and a track record. Someone has to give something up in that ego game if this is going to be fixed. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's where we're at is like, I read online that Latavius Murray and some other players led a, an, a players only meeting to try to like re, you know, reestablish or refocus the team. Um, and get these guys motivated for the Monday night game. And that's good. I think that that stuff, you know, pull out all the stops at this point, do all the things, go find a darkness retreat and ask, you know, Aaron Rodgers to lead it for you. Do, do some shit because fake an ACL yes. tear and come back four come weeks back later, four weeks like later. you're miraculously healed. Do some fancy stuff. Go take an improv class, do a paint and sip with some wine. I don't know what you have to do as an offense, but get the, get the stuff together because, um, you know, they really need to. I think there's a couple of different things. I think there's some player leadership could definitely rejuvenate this team. And I looked at Josh Allen. I think that for some reason he he had the the taunting penalty early in the game, the first touchdown against the Bengals, and he looked like he was Josh Allen of old, having fun playing football. They threw that flag on him, and he deflated. Like he didn't look the same the rest of the game yeah, until the very end. That. You I know, didn't and, get that. I yeah. love that taunting flag. <laughs> get give me one of those every game. <laughs> right, like great. it was. It was saucy and I appreciated it. And like, I, I also don't, I'm not against the NFL for throwing that flag. I think that, you know, you need a high profile player who's like literally being unsportsmanlike. You need, you need to throw the flag, but I'm, I just, you know, he just looked like he completely lost his juice. And there's so many games in the past five weeks that have looked that way where he just doesn't seem, it seems like he just gives up on, you know, whatever it is. He doesn't seem to have that, that kind of enthusiasm or emotion or heart of the, you know, other than the, the play on the field, like he's still kind of balling out. He's still um, the like stallion we believe him to be, but you know, it's, it's sort of forced. It feels like he's, his, his heart's not in it as much. And um, one of my friends, you know, who, uh, who was on our, my other bills chat said, you know, and he's a, he's been a hockey coach for a very, very long time said, I've, I've coached enough men to know what it looks like when somebody's not motivating the team, 
somebody's not pulling the triggers or hitting the levers and flipping the switches that they need to. And that's what this team looks like, the way that they play, the way that they perform. They're talented and their talent is carrying them right now, but they're not, they don't seem to be prepared or fired up for things. And I, that's, that's something I really worry about. Yeah, no. And we've seen it week in and week out. What have we said? This team plays down to their competition, a mm-hmm. team that is locked in and is drilled down in the week leading up to a game. They want to destroy you no matter what your record is. And the Bills, the Bills have just, they have not been that for the past two and a half seasons. They just haven't. You know, there, there's a little bit of front runner in this team. Like mm-hmm. it, the Miami Dolphins have that too. We remember those videos two years ago of Josh and Diggs dancing at practice. Everything is great. We're eight and three on our way to another divisional title. And that's just been gone for the past 18 months. Now, this is a team we have to be cognizant of. has been through a lot emotionally. There's yeah. been a lot in that community. We've run through it all with the Bagulas and Hamlin and the, and the snowstorm shooting and the Wegman yeah. shoot. Like this is a, yeah. it, it's a it's a it is a team and a community that has been through it. PTSD. Exactly, exactly. And there could be some of that still lingering. But I agree with you. This is a team that week in and week out is a unit. There are individuals that are still warriors on that group, but as a unit, they are not up to the task week in and week out. They're not motivated to the task week in and week out. And, and that is a problem. And it's too simplistic to say that, well, that's a coach's job. I agree. Coaching has a role to play with it. And it could just be that, dude, a lot of these guys, this roster we have said is so old. It could just be that a lot of these guys either because they've been with McDermott so long and they've seen the results kind of level out or because they're like these vet minimum dudes that have been on nine different teams at this point. One coach saying this is the same as another coach. It, a lot of these players could be blocking out McDermott at this point. There, it, You could need another voice in the locker room. And I think this is where player leadership comes into play, like you mentioned. So, yeah, I do you want to say anything else about this game? Because I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, emo- I'm, emo- I'm emotionally <laughs> spent and I'm ready to talk about the Broncos, which is a, a must win. Yes. And probably a, a more yeah. competitive game yes. than anyone thinks it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say one more thing and just a note on some of the like. So you have to mention and this kind of bleeds into the, the game against the Broncos, but you have to mention the Buffalo Bills injuries, um, you know. It's amazing they held the Bengals to three points in the second half. Incredible. It was a balls-out effort. Yeah. They were missing Christian Benford. They were missing Terrell Bernard. Um, Leonard Floyd has been playing hurt and sick. They were missing Micah Hyde in the second half. They, um, you know, it's just been like constant problems. The defense just every single week seems like they're losing somebody. And so... Coming into the the Broncos game, um, we have a Thursday injury report. Christian Benford didn't practice. Leonard Floyd didn't practice. Micah Hyde didn't practice. Jordan Poyer didn't practice. Some good news is A.J. Klein, Bale Inspector, and Terrell Bernard all were limited participants. So hopefully they they continue to trend in the right direction so that the linebacking core isn't just completely devoid of anybody in reserve. But it's it's a lot to worry about. Um, But I will say kind of one more note on the Bengals game. Uh, Linval Joseph, my friend, uh, other than the like, bombed yeah, Joe Burrow. I was going to say other than the very, the very clear, you know, and present power crotch grab power bomb that he did of Joe Burrow, which, you know, I forget who it was that mentioned it. Um, maybe it was Scarecrow on Buffalo rumbling. So somebody mentioned that, uh, 
that Linval Joseph probably relished that because as soon as Joe Burrow established himself as a runner, he's no longer protected as a quarterback. So mm-hmm. picking him up, putting him on the turf and landing your whole body on him, totally appropriate. And, yeah. and he did all of those things. So I don't know. I was like, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with a street free agent off of his couch coming in and playing zero technique nose mm-hmm. and one technique uh, center shade, uh, which allowed Ed Oliver to play defensive end. Like this was kind of, this is one of those things where some of the things they showed in the second half that stymied a lot of the offensive success of the Bengals were looks that for good reason that the Bengals had never seen. And that's one of those things where like, I'm like, don't, don't fire Sean McDermott. Like he might of meddle course. in offense too much. He might, but he's proven this, this year alone that even though the, the defense is reeling, even though they have been giving up points and yards, they're so depleted and he's still coming up with ways to get the best out of a out of a bunch of guys who some of them are not tier one starters. They just aren't. They're not even backup quality. Like Tyrell Dodson's a third stringer. Tyrell Dodson's a third stringer who had probably his best game after the first two drives. After yeah. those first two Bengals drives, Tyrell Dodson locked in and did had a much better game. Dane Jackson probably had the best game of his career. But he he that was the best defensive effort yeah. of anyone on that team. Yeah. And like we throw all the flowers we want at his feet because like we have roasted Dane Jackson and been like, we don't think this guy should be back next year, but he absolutely played out of his mind, played out of his mind. Right. And that's the thing is like, if, if all of those guys can put, put that level of effort together, this defense is still a top 15 unit in the league, even with not missing multiple all pros. Like, right. And that's, I think that you can point to coaching and scheme. And so, I thought the defense did enough. I think they need to get some turnovers. They haven't had a single interception. The turnover since production. Game. Yeah. The turnover production. And the same thing happened last year. Yep. Once these injuries settled in with this team last year, the turnover production absolutely went away. And they had they had no they had no escape hatch yes. turnover producing ability to get out of problematic drives. So it it hurt the team last year. It looks like it's hurting it this year. But again, that's why. That's why the Razul Douglas uh, trade is so important because he is a guy that comes in with great ball skills. You just got to get him up to speed. Hopefully, we'll hopefully we'll see some uh, some more of him in this Denver game. We might not have a choice given the injuries on the on the squad, but hopefully, we see more of that in this Denver game on Monday night. Um, yeah, JJ and, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, and I'll just I was, say, I was about to hit a perfect transition, but you're going to keep talking. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just going to I'm just going to answer for the, the the pod. We have to be accountable, Dan. We have to be accountable. If you can segue off of accountable, do that. But we have to be accountable <laughs> to our our terrible correctness with the Buffalo Buffalo loss. We both predicted the Buffalo Bills would lose you by three points, me by three points. Um, and we were and both six. Yeah. And we were both yeah. in, in the kind of range. Um, you even you even perfectly predicted that the Bengals dominate the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had Kincaid over five point five receptions. That was on. Um, we also thought we both thought Von Miller would get a sack. He absolutely did not. I wanted. He's just not right. He's not. He's not right. No, he's not right. He actually. This is like it seems criminal to say, but I think that every snap you're going to give Von Miller, you should give to AJ Epineza. Um, oh, at this Christ. point in the season, I wanna. I want to play back some pods from last year of you yeah. roasting up in Well, <laughs> I will always say it's possible for people to get better. Um, he's better. He's yeah, way he's better. He's done much better. So, yeah, we, we did poorly. Uh, and um, one bright note I'll say is Dalton Kincaid has already 
surpassed the Buffalo Bills receptions record for a rookie tight end with 40. Congratulations. Previous was Tony Hunter in 1983 with 36. Um, and Dalton Kincaid with 63 more, 64 more yards will set the, um, will, will pass Mr. Hunter for, for yards in a season. Actually he needs, okay. He needs quite a bit more than that. He's 144, but 144 more yards and he's got it. Listen, he, he, and he might get, am I okay to do an awesome transition off of that or no? Are you still going? Go for it. He might get that against a Denver Broncos unit with a weak linebacking core that really struggles to guard opposing tight ends, which JJ is a perfect segue <laughs> into talking about Monday night. Bam. We need a sound effect See, on this pod for a perfect pew, transition. Pew. <laughs> I'll just beatbox. No, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. You can do something Ken Dorsey cannot, which is pivot off of your initial plan into a better plan. So yes, build to something greater, build to something greater. So (laughs) this Monday night against these Denver Broncos could be an opportunity for Dalton Kincaid to further pad his, his receiving yards for the season and get closer to those 160 or so he needs to set the rookie record. sounds awesome. sounds awesome. And, and we should start JJ. I mean, there's a, there is a lot to break down in this game and it's not just about the numbers, which I love getting into, but this is a game with real stakes at this point in the season for the bills. This is another AFC opponent. This is an AFC opponent who just knocked off the their rival Kansas city chiefs before heading into a bye. This is a team that probably doesn't think it is out of the playoff race. Another loss to another AFC, another AFC unit doesn't just bury you at five and five behind the likes of the Houston Texans, but it also puts you at real risk for being eliminated from the playoffs, potentially before you hit your bye week, which is not an exaggeration given the the murderer's row that this bill schedule turns into in quick order here. So let's talk about the Denver Broncos game. First and foremost, JJ, it's a home game, which I think will hopefully provide a boon to our boys because the bills, correct me if I'm wrong, one in four on the road. 4-0 and at home, correct? No, absolutely right. Undefeated yeah. at home, 4-0. Yep. And a lot, uh, and offensive production better at home, defensive mm-hmm. production better at home. Everything better at home. It, everything, everything better at home. They can run the style of offense they want to run for the most part. Um, they just feel more comfortable in the trappings of, of Orchard Park. But you are getting a Denver Broncos team that came off a, an impressive defensive effort against an albeit sick, but still playing Patrick Mahomes two weeks ago. They get a long period of time off to game plan for these reeling Buffalo Bills. JJ, there's a couple of things I think the Broncos can do offensively and defensively that are going to give this Buffalo Bills team's fits. So where do you want to start? You want to start Bills offense, Broncos defense, or vice versa? I want to start Bills defense versus Broncos offense because I think the juicier question is really going to be Buffalo's offense. So let's start with the more kind of the mundaneity of Russell Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because Wilson statistically is having a good year. 16 Mm -hmm. total TDs, no rushing TDs. (laughs) I was about to say McDermott. Um, Sean Payton has really reined in the let Russ cook mentality. And Wilson is having one of his better statistical seasons that he's had at this point in his career. I believe six total touchdowns to only four interceptions uh, and one fumble lost. So, so a three to one TD to turnover turnover margin, um, but it's coming. It's come in spurts and streaks. It has not been consistent. 
only recently has Wilson really started to kind of turn it on. And he has not been the reason why Denver has been losing that defense is, but even that defense has gotten healthier in a lot of places, getting some of its safeties back. So it, it, it kind of starts with Wilson, but when you look at what Peyton wants to do, he really wants to run the ball. Like this isn't a great pass protecting offensive line in Denver. This is a, a offensive line, JJ, that's really made to run the ball. You've got Mike McGlinchey, um, the free agent signing from 49ers, I think. Yep. yep. Uh, he has been brutal in pass protection. Yes. He has been bottom quarter in the league for all that free agent money and pass protection at right tackle. But his his run blocking grades are really good. You've got Quinn Minerts, you've got Lloyd Cushenberry, Ben Powers, who I think is a free agent guard that you and I coveted a little bit coming from the Baltimore Ravens. And then you've got Garrett Bowles, who, I mean, been there for what, seven years. He's the guy who broke down in the locker room after a, after a particularly painful loss for this team. This season is like all I've ever known is losing here. Yeah. Um, but this is a, this is an offensive line. That's also given up um, sacks at a rate that is top 10 in the league, as far as sack percentage goes. So what, what Peyton tries to do, is establish the run. And he's got a dude, he's got a a quirky like bag of tools in that running back room with Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin, who's a who's a kid that has a lot of pop. The Buffalo Bills defense Jaleels yeah. McLaughlin. Jaleels, that's great. Oh my God. That's Please. not mine. That's Ben Ben Solak, I think. Oh, yeah. is that Solak? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so Solak is always on point. Solak, yeah. if you ever listen to the pod, uh first, thank you. Thank and second, um, trademark some of your stuff, man, because you're a freaking genius. Yeah. You're a genius. But um, I mean, they've got some running backs that are problematic. They've got exactly the type of talent on the inside and outside on the offensive line that's going to give a beat-up Buffalo Bills defensive unit fits. And listen, McDermott is not going to play base. He's just not going to play base, which might actually help in a game like this. So it's going to be our Nick, typical nickel set, maybe some of that dime look with Jordan Poyer playing linebacker. But this is a very beefy offensive line that is very likely to have physical this defensive line. And I think, JJ, that's where it starts. It starts with what I think is going to happen is the Denver Broncos are going to have a really good, a really good game if they establish the run against a Bills defense that even when healthy was middling in EPA and rush yards allowed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest problem is that if this, you know, if the Den Denver Broncos are second best in the league in yards per rush, they're kind of middle of the pack in, in the percentage of times they rush. So they tend to have a pretty balanced offense. Um, and they are 11th best in the league in rush yards per game. Um, you know, so, but it's, it's funny because they're worst in the league in rush TDs per game. So they tend to be rushing pretty well kind of between the twenties, but then they're not as successful in red zone scoring. Yeah. Yeah. These are, they, these are speed yeah, guys. When, yes. when everybody's loading up the box, it's, it's really it's much harder yeah. for them. So, but they're, but that's the thing that people need to realize is this Denver offense is not bad. Most of their, you know, they're pretty they're, good. Yeah. They're above above the fold and rushing they're a little bit below the fold and passing but as it is the nfl goes and offense is down production wise this year with the exception of you know the dolphins for some reason um and they uh they tend to be a little bit better than better than the league average so you're you know if you're expecting this to be a kind of 28 to 3 drubbing i think you're going to be sorely mistaken it's probably going to be quite a bit closer russell wilson looks a lot more comfortable he's got some tools on the outside um, and Cortland Sutton um, and Jerry Judy and 
for some reason he's not hitting Judy on long, long and late downs like he should um, because he's been open. Uh, it's interesting that that's not been a connection he's really made, but Cortland Sutton certainly coming through for that offense in certain points. Um, I absolutely, I'm hopeful and excited that the Buffalo Bills can sack Russell Wilson because he tends to hold on the ball too long. He's got one of the slowest triggers in the league, and it's been a couple of weeks since the Bills have seen a quarterback who's not in the top 10 in terms of uh, release time. So I'm really hopeful that that translates into some some sack production, maybe some turnover production, because he also tends to fumble it. That's been his a problem his whole career. So there's a couple of different things. I, I agree with you that I think that if, if Denver can establish the run and if Denver, Denver can be balanced on offense, it's going to be a long, close game for the Buffalo Bills. If the Bills are able to get out to a lead early on and make them one-dimensional, their passing offense is not quite there. And their pass protection is not very good. So that's where I think that that's the goal. Like if I had to summarize what needs to happen in this game, it's that the Buffalo Bills need to, you know, force Denver to feel like they have to throw the ball. Um, and then that's that's a recipe for winning. And JJ, what is this defensive line going to look like? So we've mentioned that Rousseau is is pretty beat up. Yep. And I, I've seen a lot of Bills Mafia Twitter roasting Rousseau for the breakout season that hasn't been so far. But Rousseau is obviously hurt. He's obviously hurt. Um, you've got Von Miller, who looks like he's playing in mud at this point. Yep. You've got Ed Oliver, who has been your best defensive lineman, I think, bar none, throughout the course of the season, other than Daquan Jones, maybe, who is no longer playing um, due to injury. But even he's really dinged up right now. Your healthiest edge player is probably A.J. Epineza. Yes. And you've got him buried behind Leonard Floyd, who has been... A a revelation this season for mm -hmm. the bills, but is also dinged up as also well. That yep. the, the bills are a team that like to limit the snaps of their defensive line. Yeah. But wh where, where does this rotation go against a pretty meaty, pretty beefy um, Denver Broncos offensive line that I just think Sean Payton is going to use like a cudgel and try to wear these yeah. guys down. Where, where do they go? I think you can expect to see Greg Rousseau, Playing, it's it's interesting, but like, I'll I'll just put this out there as, but I bet you see Greg Rousseau and Linval Joseph lined up inside, with Von Miller and Ed Oliver playing outside for some snaps, because Ed Oliver is definitely not a long, rangy speed rusher, but he's one of the healthier players that they have, and he has better pass rush moves than most of the other interior guys. So I could see a a situation where you see some of that. Um, with Linval Joseph, the Bills ended up playing 3-4, and they used Von Miller as an outside linebacker, and they had him lined up with Tyrell Dodson and Dorian Williams for some snaps, and Taron Johnson even kind of like playing sort of a, a linebacker role in a 3-4. So you could see some of that because that actually gives you an advantage um, against the way that the Denver Broncos like to run. They like to run zone scheme, yep. which we know from years of Peyton in – with the saints we also know that that's one of the teams that when son payton was there absolutely destroyed the bills running the ball so um you know color me concernicus for this defense against that offense especially with the speediness of those running backs that and that's the thing that that's the thing i think we're missing the most even with the age of this defense when all preferred 11 starters were in 
there was real speed on the field with Milano, with a healthy Rousseau, Bernard, Leonard, Flo yeah. Bernard, um, Leonard Floyd with that pop, um, Kair Elam for the one game he was allowed to play. Like there, there was real speed and athleticism in this Bills defense, not something we expected for the age of the unit. But now the injuries have broken it down. You play a team that's got a great speed element at running back in the Denver Broncos, and you just wonder, where are the answers? And you may have hit on something with this 3-4 alignment, because you know you can't trust Dorian Williams yet to be your full-time coverage linebacker, because he still bites on some really basic stuff, which he's at that stage in his development. But I also don't think you can afford to keep his raw speed and athleticism and play recognition ability in, in the run-stopping game off the field for too many drives either. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is a game where like you may need to actually lean on Dorian Williams a little bit because he has something that that almost nobody else in the defensive backfield has, and that's like pretty elite speed. And coupled with the physicality and, and hitting to like really meet somebody in, in the in the hole, it, especially if Bernard's not in. If Bernard's not in, you cannot trust Terrell Dodson to get to his spots and fill. Even though he had a good second half, he had a good, decent game for the most part against the um, the Bengals, this Denver rushing attack is a little bit more dangerous than the Bengals. Yeah, no, totally agree. And they're, and it's the way they've been built. They've been built for this, too. We're in Cincinnati. They're built for Joe Burrow. Here, their, Peyton has really built something for the run game here. Um, and it's a run game that's been ascendant, I think, over the past few weeks as well. So... It, yeah, to me, it's all about stopping the run, but getting unique and maybe getting out of your nickel comfort zone if you're Sean McDermott mm -hmm. to find a way to get more of your guys that can that um, allow you that athletic advantage um, in some of these matchup scenarios. It, it's going to be really interesting. I am also very concerned with matching up with the speed elements that we have. Um, against Jerry Judy. Listen, Judy, I think, only has one touchdown so far this season, I want to say. Cortland Sutton uh, only has 380 yards, but he has six TDs. Right. But the, these are guys that have established a rapport with Russell Wilson and absent a real receiving tight end because the Broncos don't have one. You've got these two guys that are really tough matchups, one who is big and physical, the other who is kind of like lighter and faster. It's an interesting dynamic that the Bills are going to need to meet on the outside. If Micah Hyde is hurt, yep. we and we know that Poyer has been battling injury, but he brings a ton of value in that dime linebacker spot as well that McDermott has started to run. What What is the answer? Because I feel like the roof on this defense is vulnerable. And then with Benford out, potentially, you're looking at Dane Jackson, who we know what Dane is, yep. um, despite his great game against Cincinnati, and Razul Douglas, who we're excited for, but is less than two weeks into the playbook at this point as you're starting outside corner. Less than two weeks into the playbook and has never been an elite treats cornerback. Has always been a production quarterback. Like there, mm -hmm. There's a thing to be said for a production cornerback, and I would even say that Trey White is a production cornerback. That's a cornerback who has excellent feel for zone, has excellent, like, hand fighting and like technique in, in man mm -hmm. coverage is sticky and able to stay at the, the, you know, catch point and be competitive there and good ball skills. Like that's what he has. He is not going to be in your pocket the whole way. Like Kyrie Elam can be on his best snaps because he's an, you know, athletic freak. So I am, yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. 
I actually think that this is this is a game that is decided. You know, you you kind of alluded to this before. This is a game that's decided in the trenches. The offensive pass rush or the defensive pass rush cannot, you know, um, interrupt the ability of Russell Wilson to sit and hold. Then this game is not going to go well because they're not going to be hold up holding up on the second level. No, against, not at all. Against the speed and and separation ability of these these talented wide receivers. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there's a lot of real problems on the boundaries in this game. Uh, McDermott or not, I keep saying McDermott, man. Peyton also likes to attack the middle of the field in the short passing game, which Wilson has done with some success overall. But I think the real vulnerabilities here are on the outside. It's on the boundaries yes. for sure in this game and over Absolutely. the over the top, especially if Poyer Absolutely. and Hyde are both out. Right. Which both out or both hurt. Yeah. It, listen, it is possible we're rolling into this game with ten, nine, nine of our 11 preferred starters injured, injured well, at this point. And that actually was the story of you know, everyone looks, looks at the uh, Dolphins game against the Broncos and says, well, there's no way the Bills could lose to a team that Dolphins put 70 up on and the such, Bills beat them by That game was such yeah. an outlier. Well, they had three starters. Three of 11 starters on defense were playing in that game. And they didn't have Justin Simmons that game, which, listen, I don't think Simmons is like a a correct a corrective point of like minus 30 on the score. Right. But like Simmons makes a difference in that yep. game and he wasn't healthy for that game. Like the Broncos have battled a ton of injuries going all the way back to last season on defense. It's like people don't pay attention to yeah. this stuff. Yes, the Dolphins had a really good game yeah. against the second defensive unit for the Denver Broncos. Right. Yeah, they had they had a good game against backups and and backups who were probably being beaten by 107 degree temperatures and direct sunlight. The whole hey, the Bills have been there. The nope. Bills have been there. But I, I I so JJ, I think you and I both think the matchup is going to be relatively problematic here for the Bills defensively against this this uh, Russell Wilson-led attack. So that means the offense is going to have to be on its A game. They'll have to turn up the temperature. It, it, <laughs> I have transitions so, too. It's so tropey. I love it. I love it. Oh my God. So JJ, how exactly are the Buffalo Bills going to turn up the temperature to get this offense cooking? <laughs> nice. Well, I think that probably one of the biggest things that I could say that will work for them is that you know, this Denver Broncos team is pretty poor against the run. And part of that was the, you know, the massive, you know, rushing game that the Dolphins put up against them. But also part of it is like just watching their film and like they tend to struggle a little bit and get out of position with some of the gaps that they need to fill. And so this defense has changed pretty substantially, um, you know, since who was Anarumo there but, or no, um, who was there last year that went to the Dolphins? Fangio. Fangio, yeah. Vic I don't think, but I don't think Fangio was with them last he year. Was, was he? Two years? Anyway. It was a two so, years. Yeah, because last last year was the uh, Nathaniel Hackett oh, disaster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Fangio was uh, consulting for the Eagles last Got year, it. I think. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they have a new defensive coordinator, and it seems like some of the scheme fit things have not been as good. This defense against the Bills offense has been... A, extremely uh, opportunistic. They've gotten turnovers in every one of their last few games. And so multiple turnovers, I think they turned over the chiefs five times. And so this is, that's what the bills need to work, work out is how to keep the ball safe, make sure that Josh doesn't make these mistakes and 
they're going to have opportunities to run the ball a little bit, but I also think that maybe the, the secret and trick of this game is going to be ex- using the short passing game as the running game because the the defense for the Broncos has some vulnerabilities and coverage at the second level. Getting Cook and Kincaid involved in the middle of the field in that three to five yard range with run after catch, I think that's going to be open. I think that's going to be available because I think the um, Broncos, like many teams this season, are going to try to erase digs from the game. And, and they've got they've got the horses yes. to do it. And Pat Sertan and Justin Simmons bracketing over the top. So they're they're probably going to try to erase digs. And Josh Allen has to be patient and has to try to work those underneath routes, just like you said, to soften the coverage later in the game. And one of the other good ways is you know staying ahead of the sticks, getting the run game going, doing some like screen and some counter and you know some of that gap um, gap power stuff with Deion Dawkins pulling through the hole. I think that'll be effective against this team because the Denver Broncos defensive front is a base three four, so they play with mm-hmm. a nose tackle, which means that your guards are uncovered and have better angles on the ends and the nose. Which correct, and then they try to fill those gaps with linebackers, and that's actually a place where they, I think they have a little bit of vulnerability. Nick Benito, um, Alex Singleton, and Josie Jewell are their uh, linebackers. They've been playing Drew Sanders yeah. a little bit too. Out of um, he was the he's a rook, right? Yep. Yeah. Nick Nick Benito, I think the Oklahoma edge rusher. He is he has been absolutely wild when I go back and I look at Broncos footage yeah. because this is a dude who just blindly rushes the passer and if i were the buffalo bills i would run the ball right oh at yeah this kid or run right screens right kid. to right right to where exactly. he's covered where his because responsibility is the screen yeah he he is like drunk yannick and gakwe where he is just like <laughs> over pursuing on every play right yes. but that's the thing a player like this can actually be a little bit bit of a of a troublemaker yeah. If you fall into some of that predictability and putting Josh in shotgun and he holds on to the ball for three and a half seconds, right? right? Yeah. So I would neutralize this kid and make him think twice right off the bat. Screen game right at him, run game yep. right at him. I would go right after this kid with James Cook, with Latavius Murray, and any facet of the game that you want to. Because Justin Simmons, who is healthy and is playing well, is likely going to have some role in helping to bracket, uh, helping Pastor Tan bracket. Stefan Diggs. The scarier thought is if uh, it's Vance Joseph, who I think is the oh, yeah, defensive right. coordinator yep, for the right. Broncos, is if Joseph thinks that Sertan can stick with Diggs one on one, well, then you can float Simmons to go wherever you want go to go. Kincaid. He could, I would send go him to straight K- to Kincaid. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that might be what Joseph is thinking. So listen, it is going to be incumbent on this offense to be patient and efficient in the beginning of the game to get the looks that it wants later on in the game for sure without a doubt the question becomes is what what does that efficiency look like it's not going to be 12 personnel is it going to be 11 personnel are we going to see any more of josh action at josh josh allen ever under center play action again because that almost disappeared against tampa bay and cincinnati as well where it was so effective earlier in the year and this is the thing, JJ, I think I'm going to be looking for schematically from this Buffalo Bills offense. Have they figured out the stuff that works for them? Have they figured out that having Gabe Davis run some of these in-cutting routes and maybe flashing Shakir to the outside where he is always on time with his yep. releases, right? Have they figured any of those things out? 
yes, tempo is going to be important and they're going to be able to play with more tempo at home. But to your point, can they also dictate pace of play to this Denver Broncos defense when they need to as well? It's going to be really interesting for me to see because if it's just a bunch of the 11 personnel that they've been running, no play action, no meaningful RPOs, uh, James Cook out of shotgun running that stupid mesh point draw, draw that they yeah. did. I just freaking hate that thing. Like if we see some of that, then we'll know early on that the Buffalo Bills coaching staff has learned nothing from the previous nine weeks. Well, and I think too, it's like the the benefit. So there's two different schools of thought with playing ups, up-tempo. Um, a lot of Bills Mafia that are older of the older fan variety are talking about, well, we need the J gun, right? Like we need them to run the K gun offense again. That, oh yeah. That was, that was, that's they, me. Yeah. Elder millennial yes. Bills fan. Elder millennial Bills fan has a, has a Jim Kelly Jersey and says that they need to run a Josh Allen K gun offense. Well, here's the challenge with that. The league is so much different. The coverages are so much more complex. And that offense was basically just about gassing the defense because after three or four plays, the defensive linemen were just leaning on them because they weren't substituted out and they didn't have any any pass rush gas left in them. So it just made it easier. And then on top of that, they were only running four different plays out of four different formations, you know, making a total of 16 looks. And this it's it does not work that way for this team. And and so it also you run the risk of like three plays, two yards, and you've took 16 seconds off the off the clock and you're destroyed battered defenses back out there which we talked about in the first half so i'm i think that the better match would be up tempo but not a a fast offense if you know what i mean it's the kind of thing where josh allen's calling some things from the huddle um in like a muddle huddle getting to the line with 20 or 30 seconds on the play clock and getting a chance to read and using some creative motion to give him some answers before the snap because Mm -hmm. i think that too often they're either getting it to the line at the last moment because they're trying to slow things down, and then he doesn't have a motion option, and he's just got to answer the question as soon as he snaps the ball. He's, you know, especially when they've been playing on the road, he's behind. Like they've taken timeouts in three games on the road this season because they were too close to, you know, getting a delay of game penalty. Yep. They can't have that. That operation, and it, thankfully they don't when they're at home. And I think that's been a big difference that's been kind of unnoticed by a lot of fans. Is that that's a big di- when you can operate your offense by getting to the getting to the line, running some motion, getting a look at what the defense responds to the motion, having a sense of maybe what the zone or verse man reads are. That's going to give him a you know half second, like a quarter of a second option right after the snap to know where he wants to go with that ball. Um, so I think they need to come up with some answers like that. And I don't mind an up tempo offense. I think it's the most important part is giving him more time at the line to check and recheck, double some things, change some things. Exactly. Because uh, an up-tempo offense that goes three and out is only taking like 30 seconds off the mm-hmm. clock. And when you have a defense that is this vulnerable, again, going back to your point in the in the Bengals recap, when you have a defense that is this vulnerable as the Buffalo Bills one is, you're going to want to keep them off the field for as much as you can. But that also doesn't mean that you adopt this plotting, no. get to the line at the last minute, Josh pretending like he's Peyton Manning trying to read the defense, right? Like, listen, Josh is a pre-snap processor has come a long way, but the more that Dorsey can take off of his plate with pre-snap processing to your point, I think is really important. Listen, I think Josh is a smart football player, but when this offense is at its worst is when Josh is stuck at the line of scrimmage for 12 or 15 seconds, calling out checks, calling out whatever. 
and being indecisive pre-snap, not being able to figure out what the defense is throwing at him. Josh is a grip it and rip it Brett Favre QB. He's, he's so jazz. Let the dude classical. do it. Yeah. Exactly. He's, he's so improv- just let him do improvisational. It. That's his Exactly. Thing. Yeah. So just let him do it. Let him do it. Don't try to make him Peyton Manning. If you're Ken Dorsey, they keep saying this. We're trying to simplify the offense. That doesn't mean you need to dumb it down, but give Josh less to do yeah. at the line of scrimmage. That's why I think that's the big thing with me with tempo is that it's not necessarily that they're going no huddle and the gimmick that that is. It's that playing with that pace, there is urgency for Josh not to get mired at the line of scrimmage pre-snap, calling out all these contradictory checks. He gets up, he's forced to make a quick read, goes with it, rips it, and that's why it works. Well, and that's that's it too, is I think that it's, I think he gets in trouble more often as a quarterback when he's thinking. Like when he overthinks it, when you just get him up there and you're like, just, just, just react, just like get the read, set that thing on fire and and shoot it off. Um, And I think that too is, is a problem. And I, it's weird because it's like, I don't know how it's, why it's fighting against itself, but Ken Dorsey is calling a lot of half field reads for Josh Allen for exactly that reason. But I don't think it's the right way to manage it, right? That's not the right simplification. Right, like correct. He's he's trying to simplify it by he's like, okay, I need I need grip it and rip it, Josh. So Josh, don't look across all the progressions or any all the routes. Just just look to digs, look to look to the slot to, to Kincaid. If neither are there, run it or check it down. Like that's not the answer. The answer is like, all right, Josh, here's your full menu of routes. Right. Snap the ball and do whatever you want. Like play exactly. play play. Backyard that's football. what it's got to yeah. be right yeah. that's what it's got to be and yeah, when he's like, at the line he's like i've got these four route trees that i know i'm going which one looks pretty yep. great five seconds snap the ball and then rip it boom that's what it needs to be and again i think that's where even when you're looking at the film it's easy to blame josh for missing open yes. guys but is is he is he being allowed to look at that area right. of the field right and that's part of my spin out like the spin out i went through in the first half of the pod yeah. is exactly that it's like i don't know which parts of it are josh which parts of it are McDermott, which parts of it are Dorsey. It's not working right now. That's the part that's clear. Yeah. yeah. And th- and listen, this is the, a lot of modern NFL offenses, progressions are, are in fact performative. And I would put Cincinnati in this bucket as well. Offensive coordinators are scheming up easy. And when I say easy button, like point and click, I don't mean that it's easy to run these offenses. No. It's not, but they're scheming up lots of open receivers that they know based on coverage dynamics are likely going to be open. So they're only giving a lot of their QBs one or two reads. Tua is not going in to any pre-snap huddle knowing he's going to have four or five route trees to accommodate. He's thinking Hill's going to be here. Waddle's going to be here. I'm going to throw it to one of those two guys based on a half a second glimpse I get after I hike the ball. The I mean, you could argue that the Jacksonville Jaguars do the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. There's not a lot of teams where QBs are doing legitimate post-snap progressions. Josh and the quality of this offensive line have the ability to do that. You can give Josh three or even four reads in any given play. And as long as he knows that they are available and he's allowed to do it, you've got to trust him to make the right decision. When you try to contain Josh and limit Josh's view on the field, that's where we see him forcing the ball a lot, like he did to Davis in that Cincinnati game. You've got to remove that pressure from him. Simplify by get it's it's ironic. Simplify by giving him less to yeah. exactly. Well, it's not complicating. Give him less to do pre snap, 
and give him more to do post snap when he's yeah. in the moment. Cause when he's reacting is when he's at his best. Right. Yeah. When he doesn't have time to second guess the reader, do some different things is when he, he does his best. And also God damn it. Spencer Brown and Osiris Torrance, give him time. Like they've been the past three or four weeks, they've been sliding backwards. What? Watch film in, yeah. on what a stunt is, right? Like, yeah, I mean, their communication and their anchors have been really sloppy. Been bad. And and Torrance has been so good this year. And I I watched a lot of I, I watched a lot of replays of some of the penetration that the Bengals were getting on the right side of that that offensive line. And there, like to your point, there's zero communication. When I yep. look at it, and this could be my Spencer Brown bias, Torrance is doing the right thing. He's passing off the right defender to Brown. The problem is Brown, it looks law, absolutely lost yep. in a lot of those concepts. Absolutely lost. So And that's to say, like, I'll I'll I was like dunking on Brown all last season and even the start of this season. Um, Spencer Brown has improved measurably as a one-on-one speed rush, you know, tackle. He has done and even power rush, like he's done quite a absolutely. lot to change his pad level to make sure that he's playing with his his feet underneath them and to cut off the angles and make sure nobody's getting around him and nobody's able to spin back inside of him. Like that's, I've been impressed with that in one-on-one situations. The next evolution of his game has to be he as a what third year player Mm -hmm. and Osiris Torrance, the two of them need to learn to like have that preternatural sense that, you know, Mitch Morris and Deion Dawkins have developed through their career. and, And I'd say, you know, um, the other players that the Bills fat on the line have had in their career where it's like, you know where your guy's going to be without be without seeing him, like not exactly. even in your periphery. You just know based on the stunt, based on the pressure, based on the matchup where he's going to be and how to squeeze those gaps down and, and close the pocket up and, and make it safe and, and seal it up. And the Bills should be building that quicker because they are one of four teams in the NFL that have their, have had their preferred five offensive yep. line starters healthy for all nine games so far this year. Right. So they should be in a position where that is improving, not regressing. Well, so. that's the infuriating part is like the, the defensive production and defensive uh, stats and ratings has been sliding, but I get why. Like the yeah. offensive stats ratings all looks good on paper, but it looks terrible on the scoreboard and it looks bad on the field. And they they don't have a good excuse for it. Like, you know, there's no good excuse for why this offense isn't dunking on teams 30 points every no. every week there's a lot of uncomfortable reasons and yes. no good excuse for why so yeah well jj one other quick tidbit here that i want to hit um i mentioned moving shakir more to the outside in this game in particular and potentially considering putting gabe davis in the slot a little bit more reason being is because fabian moreau who is the cornerback opposite of pat sertan played has played relatively well this season for denver but can be got on certain route trees and certain route packages. And I think in this game, Gabe Davis provides them a unique opportunity to really get the middle of the field wide open for uh, wide open for Josh, given the struggles of this linebacking unit of the Denver Broncos that we had mentioned before. But I think if you give Josh two really big targets in Davis and Kincaid across the middle of the field and some of those mesh concepts that the Bills like to run, I think you can really open things up there and force Justin Simmons, who let's just say he's going to be playing bracket coverage over the middle of the field on Davis. You then open up the opportunity for Shakir to exploit a cornerback like Moreau. Um, 
And if Diggs can win some of his matchups, you get some advantages on the outside and the middle of the field because there's only one Justin Simmons to go around in this mm-hmm. particular game. So there's definitely some matchups I think the Bills can exploit that'll work to their advantage if they do it, if they can just program it in and execute it, right? That's all That's all it's about. I Like we talk ad nauseum about what this team needs to do to win, but at the end of the day, James Cook needs 20 plus touches. Dalton Kincaid needs over under five and a half receptions, right? Like we know what this offense needs to do. It's just a matter of week in and week out. They choose to do the thing for whatever reason that is least least helpful to them in that game. So hopefully it's a course correction this game. Um, Are you ready for some predictions? I absolutely wrong. Yep. All right. So let's start with score. Listen, this is a must win for the Bills. They're at home, prime time, playoffs are on the line. Dolphins are on a bye this week, so you can gain a half game yep. and you can you can tie them in the win column. Um, it's a must. It's an absolute must for the Bills to have, and I think they need to have it. The line on this game is seven and a half points. I think it's probably a little high. I get the Bills have been good at home for the most part, but there is no reason to think that this Bills unit is, should be a, a more than a touchdown favorite against what has been an ascendant Denver Broncos team. So I've got this game, JJ. 28-24 Buffalo Bills win. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm pretty close to you. I have the Bills win 31-24. I have them not covering, but almost getting there. And I have them... The important thing for me with picking this game and for, for the Bills is like, I do think... I hope that they come out with kind of a renewed fire on offense because that last week was not, you know, was not it. Um, and they haven't broken the 30-point threshold since the Miami game. And they, I think they need to, to prove to themselves that they're capable of it. And I think this is a good game for that. But I do think that the defense struggles to keep up um, because the Broncos have some, they have some horses, they have some guys um, and the Mm -hmm. defense could, we could be looking at neither of the two starting safeties and possibly not having the one starting linebacker left on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality is the offense is going to have to go out and win this game. And the narrative, listen, man, if the Bills lose this game, the narrative writes itself for Fins Up Nation. We laid 70 on this team and you guys couldn't even lay 20 on them and win the game, right? It is not a narrative anyone wants to be exposed to. No, the Bills then fall squarely into third, you know, second slash third in the the AFC East. Yeah. Yep, correct, correct. Behind the the vaunted New Jersey Jets who who Robert Sala doesn't doesn't know why he's still starting Zach Wilson. Yeah. Hey, you got literally said in a press conference, you guys got me there. I got no idea. I don't know. He sucks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's whatever. My bad, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. He says stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, I like Salah, but like, it, he's, he's a defensive coordinator. He's not a coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, you got any props? Cause I've got, I've got some that I think are probably going to infuriate me. I've got, but yeah. <laughs> I've got one Dalton Kincaid, four and a half yards receiving. Over. I'm yeah, over. over. It's mm, smash that over. Okay. Smash yep. that over. Absolutely. Buffalo Bills defensive line. And I'm going to give you the whole line over under two and a half sacks on Russell Wilson. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I'm going to go over. Just hopeful over. I'm going under. Realistic okay. under. I just don't. I don't think they've got it. I don't okay. think they've got it. And without the threat of a Matt Milano crashing right. down through the gap or a Terrell Bernard crashing down and sugaring the gap. I just, I don't, I don't know that there's any real juice on this defensive line with yeah. how beat up they are. They're very beat up. That's, that is a problem, but I'm going to say, that's I'm, the problem. I'm, like yeah. I said, it's a hopeful over. Um, yeah. I've got, maybe, maybe Russ yeah. runs into one. <laughs> Von Miller, I've got a half sack. He's playing against his former team, Super Bowl winning Broncos team. Um, 
does is this a game where he shows something under Dan under I'm going under you know it, it, people made a lot about that tweet he put out congratulating the Denver Broncos on finally beating the Chiefs after 16 straight games and I, I people are like he's not loyal to the team he's on no like but he he spent almost his, Dude, his entire yeah. career in Denver like, like would you like, like it, he 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 is the modern yeah. face of that franchise. Like that'd be like break. that'd be like people get like getting down on Stevie Johnson when he's playing for like the Houston you know right. Texans, saying "Great job, Bills, on finally beating Brady." Like, yeah, yeah like, seriously, way way to get the curse off, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but but that being said, I'm taking the under because okay. he's in the tank for the Broncos. Yep. No, just <laughs> yeah, but yeah I, I just until until I see it, I'm not going to put money on right. it. Like yeah. he. He has not looked himself all no, season. No, absolutely so, yeah. not. I, I take the under until and, I'm proven and wrong. And it still hasn't been a year from an ACL tear. So, like, I, I'm still patient with Von Miller. Yeah, and I think we should be. Yeah. I think we should be. But his, his snap count should probably still be limited in yep. this game, which is why I'm going to take the under. Yep. All right. I've got... Here's one for you. Uh, Deontay Hardy, over, under, half a touchdown. Catch. Oh! Um, I'm... T- Slamming the under because I think that he has been a waste of an investment. They have they have run exactly two shot plays for him yep. all season. Yep. He was supposed to be this deep threat, take the roof off the oh, defense yeah. type, hit that seam on one on one coverage, and not nobody's mm-hmm. catching him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but here's why I think here's why I think it is over. I think if you are Ken Dorsey and you're going to incentivize Josh to play efficiently. There's got to be there's got to be a carrot at the end of the stick, as we said. It's it might not be Diggs in this game, like it was in that Cincinnati game, but it could potentially be Hardy because there is no one other than Pat Sertan, yeah, who will be glued to Stefan Diggs. There's no one other than Pat Sertan there's that no can one, keep yeah, up no with Hardy's speed. Up, yeah. So if there was a game where you were going to throw the ball to the fastest player you have on offense and the guy you paid five million dollars to yep. in the off season to catch deep balls from Josh. It would be this flipping game. All right, I like it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going under, but I, I appreciate your, your hopeful over. <laughs> I am, I'm, I am full of hope. I am full of hope that this is going to be an agonizing, absolutely agonizing <laughs> watch on Monday. <laughs> I've got a full, a full Bills defense. My final prop: Bills D, point five turnovers generated. Under. Okay. They just can't do it. I knew it. They, I, they just. I had already yeah. typed under. Before know, you even you know said me. anything, because I'm taking the over. I think that they finally get some turnover luck. It's been dude, this weeks. Dude, this is a team that literally went eight straight games last season, and they weren't even nearly as banged up as they were as they are now. Eight straight games last season without producing a single interception. Yikes! Like, and all they were missing last season was Trey White yep. that for that stretch in the secondary. I mean, I. Dude, I I love this team, and I think this defense is. This has to go down. I know you can't win Coach of the Year just for being a defensive coordinator, but the guts and the balls that this defense is playing with, and that the way McDermott is scheming it is like it it should be taught in football coaching classes. Yeah. All that stuff being said, they cannot produce a turnover to save their life. They can't stop the drive. They can't stop the run. They just can't. They just can't. So. I, I'm listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under again until they they prove I should put money on the over. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that was well. That was not as cathartic that, as I that, wanted it to be. I know. I, I'm like, all right. Now it's time to wrap this up. And God, I still feel empty still, inside. Okay. So, 
until so I sad. see this team play the game so I know sad. they're capable of on offense, I'm just I'm this like I I was I'm I've got no juice for even turning on the games. Like the last couple of weeks, I'm just like I guess I got to watch this game. I know. Well, there, there's that, and I'm 40, and they're playing oh, yeah. a lot of and night games. Late. Yeah, and that is exactly absolutely tired. brutal for yeah, me. For sure. <laughs> that is brutal for me. So yeah. But all right, JJ, it w- it was fun. Yeah. If the Bills aren't aren't fun to watch, at least we're fun to That's listen right. to. And for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Google, Apple, and Spotify. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills.